Welcome back to another episode of the Test Two Times podcast with your host, Sam Ostry here alongside Ben Dixon. We have a lot to get to today, Ben. We have two different teams to talk about. Maryland men's basketball at home and Maryland men's basketball on the road, who are just look wildly different when they're in College Park playing at the Exfinity Center and when they're traveling to play other Big Ten teams on the road. So we're going to talk about that Purdue game last week. Kevin Willard's best win of the year, best win of his career at Maryland so far in year one. And we're going to talk about the Nebraska loss as well before we preview Minnesota and get get uh, to the rest of the schedule as well. But first, Ben, how are you on this Wednesday? I'm doing well, Sam, doing well. Um, definitely two different Maryland teams um, that we've been looking at. Uh, could add a chance against Nebraska. We'll get into all of it. But uh, excited to talk some hoops right now. Let's go. Yeah, so let's let's first talk about Purdue. Um, the Purdue game, which was last Thursday. Uh, we were last recorded on Wednesday, so we haven't talked about that one yet. Um, there's a lot to get to from this game, but first, Mar- Maryland won 68-54, to but it felt, and Purdue was up three at halftime, but Maryland outscored Purdue 43-26 to in the second half and was just incredibly dominant defensively. They went on a 27 to four run at one point in the second half. Purdue had no answers. I've never, I haven't seen that Maryland, this Maryland team, this locked in defensively all season. And they've been, they've been a great defensive team all year. Don't get me wrong. But in that 27 to four stretch, they were so locked in defensively, had a phenomenal game plan on Zach Eady, who only had 18 points on eight for 16 shooting and eight rebounds after scoring 24 the first time with 16 rebounds. Julian Reese deserves, deserves a ton of credit. We'll get to him, and we'll get to all of that. But first, what were your overall impressions um, of the, the Maryland game, over the Maryland win over Purdue that produced a court storm, the first court storm for Maryland since 2016? And, yeah, what were your impressions? Yeah, I think just to, to start um, kind of with, with the big picture here, it was a big moment, a really big moment for Kevin Willard and this program in year one. Uh, he kind of downplayed it a little bit after the game, said it's all about the kids. Like He's been in a lot of wins. He's been in a lot of losses. But, you know, that's as loud as I've ever heard that building. Um, you know, you know, I've I've only been a student here for, for four years, but I, I grew up going to Maryland games. I was at the last Maryland Duke game in, in 2013, uh, exactly 10 years before that game when Maryland beat number two Duke. Uh, that building was bonkers. I, I got to say my memories. A little fuzzy uh, then as, as a uh, 11, 12-year-old compared to now, 21-22. Uh, but, you know, j- just the magnitude of the night, Sam, it, a really big moment for the program. Um, not only the fact that they beat Purdue, Maryland dominated Purdue. Uh, students poured on the court. The crowd was bonkers all night. That second half run, it just felt like each bucket was just, just like injecting more noise into the crowd uh, moment by moment. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think for me, the overwhelming takeaway would just be the, the magnitude of the moment um, and just how how special of a night it was for a program that's going to be going to the NCAA tournament in year one of, of Kevin Willard, despite that loss uh, at Nebraska, which we'll talk yeah, about. I mean, not a terrible this, one, but yeah, this season has been a wild success for Kevin Willard, especially given uh, the expectations coming in, how he's revived this program that, that seemingly was dead last season, was going through some major changes. Um, and nobody expected this for this Maryland program. But it's not it's not just this one win. It's the it's the entirety of the season, how they've um, surpassed every expectation anybody had for them, their players, their coaching staff, everybody. And they're going to be competing for a Big Ten title um, when, when that tournament comes and they're going to be in, in the NCAA tournament. And nobody really expected that. And this was kind of like a culmination of a, a celebration of the season, of the job that um, 
that Kevin Willard has done in, in year one, which has been incredibly impressive. And he's restored this program where people are looking back in Maryland basketball. And I read something today that the transfer portal is going to be really kind to them because people are going to want to come to Kevin Willard's program. He, he's going to show them this is what I've done with transfers. We know Kevin Willard's a top 15 recruiting class coming in next year. He's going to continue to recruit the DMV. And he, he's brought life to this program. And you saw it in, in, in a party fashion um, on Thursday night when the students rushed the court. It was a great court storm, by the way. There's a lot of times, just a side note about court storms, a lot of times these court storms are pathetic. And like students don't know what they're doing. Kevin Willard did a great job, all class, getting Matt Painter and all Purdue all off the court. And then the students, when the buzzer came, they, they rushed it. People were climbing the basket. It was a legitimate party on the court, not like st- some dispersed court storms that, that we've seen from, from other programs um, this season and throughout the season. But besides the, besides a little side note about the court storm, I will say I tweeted this out. Um, Maryland fans deserve that, and the student section deserve that, because they've done a tremendous drop, job supporting Kevin Wood in, in year one. And this is a fan base that people forget were seriously vilified by a lot of the people in national media um, upon Turgeon's departure, because there was a lot of blame that was placed on this fan, on this fan base that kind of forced him out, was too hard on him. Um, and, and frankly, just people were calling them mean and, and nasty and, and all this stuff and saying the fan base let him down, let the program down, all these things. And it was coming from a lot of people in the national media. So, But this fan base now took on Kevin Willard, has supported Kevin Willard. And yeah, he's done a great job. They've had a lot to root for. But they pretty much immediately supported him, started packing the arenas, pretty early on in that 8-0 start, and they've done a great job, and they, and they deserve that. Like they, they were vilified last year, and it's an all-time great fan base, an all-time great building created by the fan base um, when it's rocking and when Maryland's playing good basketball, and they deserve that, that court storm and, and that celebration. 100%. Uh, to your note on the court storm, incredible court storm, uh, more of an avalanche than a flurry for sure, uh, one, of, one of the better ones I've seen in recent memory. Um, especially with PA announcers in the background saying, please do not touch the basket. And, and yeah, that kid's literally, literally care. standing up on top of the hoop. Uh, good for that kid. That must, must've been a fun moment for him, but, um, well, hopefully he's not in, in a cell right now, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I, I cannot imagine. Um, I, I, I would say that, uh, Maryland men's basketball refused to press charges there if, if it came down to it. But, yeah. um, uh, what were we saying about, uh, just, just the moment for Kevin Willard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's big time. Like, you're you're right about the fan base. I think there was a lot of apathy among Maryland fans too during last year when uh, Turgeon left after that Virginia Tech game. Danny Manning takes over. Fan base was apathetic. Like no one really cared uh, about Maryland basketball the the past few months of last season. Um, and Willard, you know, wasn't the flashiest hire. I can say from the plenty of people I've talked to, you know, at the time or uh, you know leading up to the coaching carousel coming to a close, and maybe the first couple months after is look like this wasn't really that big of a splash, but you know, Kevin Willard had his, had his eyes on his job for, you know, seemingly all of last year. It's a program where a lot of, you know, rich tradition exists, a lot of, you know, fiery fans history. And for him, it felt like he could, you know, bring that back as soon as this year. And he he talks about the goal every year being compete for a big 10 championship, compete for a national championship. And we've kind of seen, you know, while no one's expecting, I don't think either of those things this year, um, maybe could compete the big 10 tournament, but no one was expecting that going into the season. It's, you know, just, just the fast track to national relevancy that this program is back on after a really, you know, tumultuous, tough year last year. Um, It's been good to see the fans deserve it. Um, 
you know, the players that stuck around deserve it. I've, I've wrote about it multiple times this year about how guys like Hakeem Hart, you know, Dante Scott, Julian Reese, Ian Martinez could have transferred. They believed in Willard stayed for his, uh, to see year one of his vision kind of play out perhaps more with the, those COVID years and, and Juju having some more years of eligibility as well. And then just the guys who have come on board too, Jameer Young, you know, not enough could be said about the guy. He entered top 10 in Kempom national player of the year race after, um, after that game against Purdue. So it's just the, the total buy-in from all parties on and off the court, um, you know, in and with outside of the program, it's been, you know, a spectacle, something to see here early on and something that, you know, can't be underspoken right now. You said something interesting about um, how a lot of Maryland fans wanted a splashy hire immediately, like a Rick Pitino, like a Bruce Pearl, like those those names were floating around. And and the reason why these these fans and a lot of people were calling for those guys instead of the boring old old Kevin Willard is because they wanted to restore immediate success back to the program. They wanted to to bring life immediately back to the program, not have a long term solution. That wasn't smart at the time. It still isn't smart. And but what Damon Evans and and the the people, the firm, and everyone who who hired Kevin Willard and brought him aboard, they had a long term vision in mind. It wasn't about year one. Nobody expected um anything really in, in year one because that it's it's hard when when you're coming in and it's not your roster that you that you're taking over in year one. But it was a long term vision. And guess what? This is also it's 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 he has a long term vision, but it's also ended up being a pretty splashy hire in year one because as it was shown Thursday night. There has been life restored uh, to Maryland basketball. And to the point about the fans, I thought, and I think a lot of people believe that, you know, it was kind of going to be a prove it thing. Like they, they need to earn us back instead of we're just going to immediately support this coach. Like he needs to prove that, that he he's going to be, that he is the guy that he's going to be the guy. And that's not really been the case. Like these Maryland fans have immediately supported Kevin Willard um, as he looks to build this program back to national prominence. And competing for national championships and certainly Big Ten championships, but this these fans had immediately supported him. Yeah, he did get off to an eight no star, and they looked great um, in the beginning. So there's there's a lot of hype around them, but it wasn't like okay, you have to prove yourself as a coach, and then maybe your two, your three will start supporting you. After dead arenas last year, all of last season, just a a, a bad year. It's um Maryland fans showed out immediately. And, and showed that they were going to support Kevin Willard in year one. So and and it all kind of just came together. All these themes that we've been talking about all year, uh, the hire with Kevin Willard with the fan base, it all came together in in a great way in a huge win over Purdue. But there was a basketball game being played, so we should probably talk about that. No doubt. No. Um. So I mean, what, there was a lot. There was a lot here. Jameer Young had twenty points. He he led all scores. Um, Julian Reese had a phenomenal game, 10 points, only five for 11 from the field, but his defense was tremendous. How he guarded Zach Eady. I mean, they were doubling Zach Eady a lot, but there was a bunch of times where I was like, this double's a little late. Like they're leaving Julian Reese in single coverage. Like, why are they doing that? And then Julian Reese got a stop and it, it was phenomenal how well he played defensively. And he only had two fouls in 35 minutes. That, that might be the most impressive thing. So that was tremendous. Hakeem Hart has really emerged. You know, he started off the year really hot from three and got really cold in the middle part of the season. And now he's kind of emerged as a great three-point shooter again. He had a great game against Nebraska this past Sunday, but against Purdue, he was two for four from three. Um, Patrick Emelian hit a three ball, and the crowd went crazy for that one. But he finished with nine points. Ian Martinez had seven points, so there's good bench produ- production as well. Um, I mean, what were your overall takeaways? This was a really just all-around solid game from Maryland's best players and his bench. Yeah, I think we could start with with Juju, like you mentioned. Um, you know, the stat line might not look amazing, but he did have ten points. 
uh, 5'11 shooting, like you said, nine boards, uh, two offensive, um, one block, one steal, only two fouls. That's the number that stands out to me because, look, we saw it against Nebraska, too, for a little bit. He ended up, you know, finishing that game um, with only four fouls and was able to finish it out. But I think he's now had four personal fouls in like 10 of Maryland's uh, 16 games or 11 of Maryland's 16 Big Ten games, something crazy like that. And when it mattered most, uh, you know, the team needs a signature win. We saw it against Purdue. He picked up foul trouble in in the first game as well. Um, What did he have? Four in that game. Uh, He was able to, you know, stay on the court and obviously have a great game against Zach Eady there. But there's just something about Juju when he's on the floor and he's playing a guy like Zach Eady or just playing, not even a guy like Zach Eady, playing Zach Eady. He has rose to the occasion twice now on on multiple occasions. Zach Eady is going to be the runaway national player year at this point. It's going to take something crazy, something crazy to, you know, for something to change there, I, I just can't foresee it. The fact that what he's done for college or what he's done, you know, for Purdue this year and just among everyone else in college basketball has been sensational. Um, not enough can be said about the the seven four big man for Purdue. But what Julian Reese has done against him, he's embraced the opportunity, and he really set the tone early. I think he forced two ED turnovers on the first two possessions of the game um, Thursday night against Maryland. It was the the live ball turnover, and then he forced a, a jump ball. Um, and then he powered through Edie for a physical basket early on. So he set the tone. He's like, look, I'm here. And, and Kevin Willard been saying, look, Juju deserves to be considered in that top half of the, the Big Ten centers. I think he's proven that, Sam. I, I really think he has. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the, the, it's it's the defensive end that's been so impressive to me because he he has a lot of stretches this season, and especially last season when he was a freshman, where he just was getting stupid fouls. And, and when you get those fouls and you get in foul trouble and you stay in the game, you're not as aggressive, you're not as effective defensively. But in the last like two or three weeks, really, that has not been the case at all. He's been a phenomenal defender, walling up, being aggressive on defense. Yeah, he's had a couple four foul games. He's had some three fouls early on where he's had to go to the bench because of foul trouble, but he still remains aggressive throughout the game. And he has just been a force defensively like Hunter Dickinson. He stopped Trace Jackson Davis, um, Hunter Dickinson the second time, of course, Zach Eady, like you said, both times, despite Zach Eady's numbers where he 24 first game, 18, the second game, that's really good production because he wasn't very efficient from the field. Like he has been just a, a tree trunk really for them defensively and, and the anchor for them where the concern coming into this year was Maryland doesn't have a big man and they play in the big 10 conference, which is um, they play in the big 10 conference, which is big man heavy. There are so many dominant big men. So when Julian Reese is matching up against these guys, Maryland doesn't have a true big man. They're going to get smoked. That was the narrative coming into the year really throughout, throughout the big 10 uh, early on in the season. And that's why no one thought really Maryland would have a chance, a big part of it. But to, to Julian Reese's credit, he has proved that he is he is one of the better big men in the um in the conference, and he's certainly one of the better defensive ones where he can stop these guys, these these dominant forces at a high rate. Like this, this is the national player of the year that he he has done done a tremendous job against. And also, you got to give credit to Willard and his staff because they've put him in phenomenal positions, doubling at the right time, using um the surrounding players, and just creating a great game plan to limit Edie and, and help. Uh, Julian Reese and against some of these other bigs too, like Trey Jackson Davis, Hunter Dickinson the second time. They've just, Willard and his staff have done a phenomenal job creating game plans against these guys. And they, they deserve a ton of credit because that's really the only way you beat these guys. You don't beat them match just matching up straight up, roll the ball out there and, and go play. Like who's the better team? Who's the more physical team? Maryland's game plans against these big men have been phenomenal. And they've done a great job shutting down 
the opposing team's top player all season, really, dating back to even early, early on in the year against Miami when they shut down Isaiah Wong, but especially against big men in these last few weeks. I really can't say enough about the job that Willard and his staff have done creating and concocting these game plans to, to limit opposing bigs. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like you said, putting Juju in position to be successful defensively there, um, not only him, it's it's the team defense, like you said, sending doubles at the right time. It just feels like, especially at home, the defensive intensity and the game plan when they're going against dominant bigs, it, it's second to none. I mean, these guys are are going through like torture down down in the post. It's It took a look. Edie had, what, 18 and eight against Maryland, which is a good stat line for pretty much anyone else. That's pretty pedestrian for him, and it's it, he never really had a grip over the game where he was just dominating like that. Um, if anyone, it was it was Braden Smith who made what his first seven field goals of the game, and then Maryland made some adjustments on him in the second half as well. Um, so I'm totally with you. Got to give a lot of credit to what Willard has done in, in those situations, putting Juju in good position to have success defensively, even in in single coverage. That when it's just man to man, he's given Edie a tough time. No easy buckets there as well. Um, but I think off that point, I think we got to talk about. Uh, Patrick Ramillion as well, who yeah. has evolved into, you know, just such an indispensable player. Nine points. Yes, he had that corner three, which, you know, kind of saved the first half and more or less in terms of what that was. I think that was the only three in the first half, right? It One was, for six yeah, from, from, from three-point range. Team only shot 11 threes in the game and made five of them. Um, you know, a good game plan there, shot selection-wise, um, especially in the second half. But look, a million three for three from the field. Offensively, he's taken steps. He had that crazy dunk and transition to, to, you know, ignite that crowd just one more time against Purdue. But defensively as well, I mean, his his instincts, this guy's just a really good basketball player, Sam. And it's it's hard to imagine that, you know, I, I, I wrote that story on him in, what, December? And he was kind of, you know, dealing with a little bit of an injury, not, you know, kind of just that bench piece that no one knew too much about that. In Big Ten play, this this guy has been a really good basketball player. He brings intangible elements in terms of coming off the bench. I don't know how many times he's hustled for offensive rebounds and, and tipped the ball out for open threes. And not only against Purdue, he did against Nebraska. He's done it in plenty of other games as well. Um, just his feel for the game and his ability, just at six seven and two hundred ten pounds, to play the five, to play the four, play down low, and bang with some of the bigger bodies in the conference. Um, it's impressive. So I think we got to give him a, a, another, you know, well-deserved shout out. Um, yeah. I mean, this, this guy came from St. Francis, Brooklyn, like that school is like 3000 people. He was never playing in front of any type of crowd. And then you come to this environment and he has just flourished. And, and again, credit to the coaching staff for just invoking confidence in this guy Um, where he feels like he, he belongs out there and he's just contributed solid, solid minutes. I mean, he only played 15 minutes. You know, he's played more minutes um, most games, honestly, but he only played 15 minutes, but at nine points um, in, in 15 minutes, like against Nebraska, he played 23 minutes. That's incredibly impressive. Nine points in 15 minutes. And again, that, that big three, the only one of the, for Maryland of the, of the first half, it was just, like he, his minutes were phenomenal. He has been such an X factor for this team all season. And Willard calls it the MVP all the time. You know, sometimes they just say that uh, to just to just a guy that's important. But like, I, I don't know if he's the MVP of the team, but he, but he's certainly um, a huge part of their success in the last few weeks. And and he he deserves all the credit he gets. Like like one one thing with Don Carey, and we'll get to Don Carey later. This point relates to to Million is one of the things Don. Willard has said about Don Carey is like he hasn't really played a lot of meaningful basketball. So it's quite 
an adjustment to come in and play meaningful basketball at Maryland in front of packed crowds that um, where you're expected to win. And if, if you don't, you're, you're held accountable and, and, and you're berated in some way if you're not consistently winning and playing at a winning level. So, and he hasn't, Don Carey hasn't really experienced that because he was at Siena and then Georgetown where Georgetown was just losing every game and everyone expected them to lose and no one was even showing up to the games at that point. But, and so it's, that's, and Willow kind of talked about how that's been like difficult for, for Don Carey um, to kind of adjust to this season. For Patrick Amelian, who came, came, who certainly wasn't playing in front of any crowd, um, who had no pressure on, very little pressure playing at St. Francis, Brooklyn to, to come to Maryland and just flourish. It's, it's, I guess it's, it's the contrast of that with Don Carey, but it's been incredibly impressive that in, in big moments and in big games, he's come up and he's just a guy like, like he's he's the most most consistent guy off the bench without a doubt. Like you know what you're going to get from him on both ends of the floor pretty consistently. Ian Martinez had a good game too. He was he had seven points on 21 minutes, but he uh he, he's a little more consistent. You don't know what you're going to get from him on the bench as a scorer, and you're not necessarily looking for Patrick Million to score. He's not usually not going to score nine points, but he's certainly going to provide a huge spark for you off the bench. Yeah, I mean any off offense you get from Million seems like a bonus. Um, He's definitely got some skill, but you know you, that that three uh, against Purdue is like the cherry on top for him offensively for this entire season. But yeah, we can talk about Ian too while we're talking about the bench, um, at least for from the perspective of that Purdue game. Um, look, just a, a big time. He's made big time plays in terms of using you know his athleticism, getting out in transition. Another guy who's a spark off a bench in a little bit of a different way than a million is because a million kind of has this defined role. Ian Martinez is basically like the sixth starter at this point. And, and we don't have to get too much into the Nebraska game just yet, but you know, Don Carey only played eight minutes in that game and Ian Martinez played 34. So I, I don't know if there's any changes coming. Willard said there aren't when I asked him about it yesterday, but Ian Martinez coming off the bench. I think if, you know, we, we talk about Patrick a million at St. Francis last year and now him this year, Ian Martinez, the steps he's taken from Maryland last year to playing for two different head coaches to now playing for Willard, it's like he's a different player. I mean, there were there were times last year when, you know, I I, I know he had the face injury for a little bit of the later part of the season. I I don't want to, you know, he just wasn't that good of a player for the majority of last season. Yeah, I mean, he, he looked like he had confidence. Yeah, his footwork right. was off. He was shot selection was poor. I mean, he's completely transformed his game under under Willard's direction. Hundred percent, yeah, like. He wasn't a, like a terrible player by any means. You saw flashes at, at some points, but it, it was raw. The confidence, you know, he said at the beginning of this year that the confidence was the, his biggest difference from last year to this year. It just seems like the staff is giving him so much confidence. And, and you know, the guy who transferred from Utah to Maryland and, and you know, was kind of labeled as that dark horse NBA guy. Um, we were thinking last year, like, how, where did this, you know, label come from? I'm not saying that's there this year, but, you know, you certainly see the potential has come to fruition for him and the value he's provided off the bench as well. I mean, those two guys have, you know, just been so important to this team's success because we've talked about, you know, every week seemingly, I, I guess since the, the our preseason episodes, we were talking about how big of a worry the bench was going to be. I mean, we were reading names off the roster and we were like, who is going to contribute? Um, that answer has certainly been solved with this rotation of seven, you know, perhaps eight with Jahari, but De- definitely, you know, I, I think some well-deserved conversation about those two each and every week, as as long as they keep contributing to uh, winning basketball. Yeah, the bench and and Jahari, um, certainly Don Carey, certainly Dante Scott. We'll talk about that when we talk about the Nebraska game in a minute. I just have one more point, um, about the Purdue game is Maryland was the physically more dominant team 
which which was the most impressive thing of the game because this is a Purdue team that is rarely out physical, if that's a word. Uh, Purdue is usually the more physical team almost every night. They rarely lose the rebounding battle. Maryland had 35 rebounds. Purdue had 23. The first time they played where Maryland only lost by three, Purdue had 10 more. This time, Maryland had 12 more. Maryland had eight more points in the paint. With a team with an absolute tree trunk, 7-4 National Player of the Year, Zach Eady, for Maryland to dominate and be the more physically dominant team inside, I like it, it's so impressive. I like it's hard to put even words to it because like that that's really rare to do against Purdue, especially for what's considered an undersized group in Maryland. And their physicality, and they've been way more physical at home than on the road. Their physicality, though, at home has just been phenomenal. I mean, they, they consistently are the physically dominant team. And, and that starts with deep defense. That starts with rebounding, even their press, where they're getting in guys' faces 94 feet out, um, pressing in their face. Uh, being physical in that nature with their perimeter defenders. I mean, this this has been the physically more dominant team, and that was a huge takeaway for me from this game, and and it really shined through that against Zach Eady and against the team that that is rarely out rebounded at all, but to out rebound them, out rebound them by twelve points, yeah, or by excuse me, by twelve rebounds. That that was that was incredible, thoroughly impressive. Um, you know, ten offensive rebounds too, ten offensive rebounds against a team that. Is one of the best rebounding teams in the entire country. And Purdue, and to, to just real quick, Purdue only at three. Like Zach Eady gets a ton of offensive rebounds usually, and that's where he gets a lot of his second chance points just off those bunnies. But Purdue only had three offensive rebounds. So their defensive rebounding was phenomenal as well. Right. I mean, I was going to say, look, Purdue is second nationally in offensive rebound pink percentage offensively in terms of, you know, how many rebounds go to, to their side when they're on the offensive side of the ball, and 14th in the country an offensive rebounding percentage defensively in terms of pre- preventing teams from dominating the offensive glass. Maryland's could just won the battle in both. It was one of the more, I think, shocking things when you watch the game, and look at the box scores, like how are they able to do that? Like you said, Sam, the more physical team, um, the pressing, I mean, it wasn't the biggest issue in terms of, you know, forcing turnovers because Purdue had seven, but it definitely, you know, got them out of the rhythm for whatever reason they were got dominated on the boards. Totally, totally impressive. And I think, Look, it's not only Purdue, it's every game. I mean, teams are coming into the Xfinity Center. The opposing coach is stepping to the podium after the game, and he's like, yeah, Maryland was the more physical team. Um, I'm not sure if Painter said that. I can tell you Greg Gard said that. I can tell you Juwan Howard said that. Um, when this team is playing at its peak defensive intensity, it's crashing the boards, and it's you know just playing you know 94 feet pressing-wise, it, it's very hard to beat. Maryland is very hard to beat in that aspect, and I, I think we saw that come to fruition. Um last Thursday night against Purdue. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we did a good job recapping that Purdue game, which was almost a week ago at this point. Yeah, I mean, we got to reverse course here a little bit. Say it again? We got to reverse course here a little bit for the... the Well, yeah, that's what Willard always likes to say, that we're we're so negative. We always start with a negative. Well, we start with a positive, and now we're going to go into a very negative. Um, This past Sunday, Maryland's game against Nebraska on the road. Mind you, Maryland um, is one in seven now in road Big Ten games, and their only win on the road was against the one in fourteen, um, or excuse me, what's what's their Big Ten record? Yeah, one in fourteen, right? Minnesota. Yeah, one in fourteen. I just I just looked at it. Minnesota's one in fourteen in the conference. That was Maryland's only Big Ten road game. 
So Maryland is, has been abysmal on the road. Yes, they're much better. They've been much better in recent weeks than they were in the beginning of the season against the Wisconsin, against the Michigan, against the Rutgers. But they're still a bad road team, and they haven't won a real a real road game because Minnesota, they were injured. They were depleted at that point. They were injured. That's barely a Big Ten team at this point. So I'm barely even counting that. Maryland's been horrible on the road, and they had a great chance to flip that that's that script against Nebraska, who's also towards the bottom of the standings. We should say Nebraska came in on a nice winning streak. They, they've picked up some nice wins. They're playing good basketball, and they're a good team, no doubt, even though they're not even close to the top or even in the middle of the Big Ten standings. But this was still a great chance to pick up another road win um, that Maryland's really desperate for, and I think their road record is really going to hurt them uh, come Big Ten seeding, or excuse me, come March Madness seeding time when 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 the the brackets are being made. I think their road record is really going to hurt them, and they had a great chance to pick up a road win at Nebraska against a good Nebraska team, but a team that you're certainly better than. And they just dropped the ball in a big way. Maryland, the game went to overtime, and we'll break down the entire game. But the game went to overtime. Maryland ended up losing seventy um, to sixty six. The start of the game was eerily similar to almost all of Maryland's road games, where Maryland is just bad offensively to start they could not make a shot both teams really couldn't make a shot for the first like eight nine minutes they really struggled to score uh maryland was ice cold and at halftime maryland trade and maryland came back a little bit they started getting hot as the half went on but maryland was down tw- uh 31 to 24 at halftime um so 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 that so that was a, a classic maryland bad start in the first half that we've seen almost Every single time they play on the road where they just get off to these poor offensive starts and have a tough time recovering. But they they did recover in the second half. Maryland outscored Nebraska 34 to 27 in the second half. They had a much better second half, but they were up 10 at one point in the second half. With I think it was like I forget how much time was on the clock. They were up it was up eight with seven ten left. Yeah. They were up eight okay. with seven minutes to go. And and they they just dropped the ball like they it's 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 almost I would have to rewatch the game to kind of figure out what exactly happened. They just lost their identity completely. Their shot shot selection was incredibly poor. Um, they they were getting blown by offensively. I mean, Derek Walker. I mean, we can talk about uh, uh Tominaga when we will. But Derek Walker was phenomenal. He was getting any points he wanted. They it was they were running the most simple plays to just get him a dribble drive play dribble drive opportunities from just the top of the key or the free throw line and he was beating his defender consistently with little help defense and scoring whatever he won i mean he finished with 23 points which was the high of the game tominaga finished with 20 points um so so nebraska was was scoring pretty much at will um at times in in later in that second half i mean what were your overall impressions we're going to talk about some individual performances that that are essential to bring up but what were your overall impressions from this loss? Yeah, it was exasperating. Um, a, a really bad loss. I don't want to say from an NCAA tournament perspective, if anything, maybe. I don't even think it's a, a seed line loss. If anything, maybe uh, a, a rank or two bump. Because, um, look, from just the the looks of things, from a big picture, you know, NCAA tournament committee perspective, Nebraska is still – top 100 team in the net it's only going to be a quad two loss on the road that's not going to change um and, and nebraska is actually playing better of recent you know believe it or not now seven and ten in the big ten they'll get minnesota at home also on saturday um so my guess is they'll finish eight and twelve in the big ten which you know in this conference for a team that wasn't expected to do much um not going to say that's terrible however 
if you look at just the the nooks and crannies of the game here, just blowing a lead like that, you had so many chances to to put them away. Up eight with seven minutes left, they didn't score um, for the next what three minutes and one second. Um, score was tied at fifty eight with just seconds remaining. Jameer Young had a chance for the win that rimmed out. Now, then you're leading by three in overtime halfway through the the period. You don't have a chance. You you know blow that one again. So just. A lot of chances to close out uh, a win, just just a road win. I, I think just would have been so important. You look at just Maryland, just Jekyll and Hyde, Sam. I mean, it's we've talked about it all year. The, the two different teams. I think Jekyll and Hyde's the perfect way to to describe it. At home, you're unbeaten in Big Ten play. On the road, your one win is against the worst team in the conference and one of the worst teams in Power Conference basketball. It's it's unfortunate, and it kind of leads us to the discussion, which we can get into after. I know we'll get into this game of how will this team perform on neutral floors in the Big Ten tournament in Chicago and in the NCAA tournament, whether they're in Sacramento, Des Moines, or Albany. Who knows where they'll be? They're going to be in the tournament. Who knows? I mean, the, the only showings we saw, we saw in the neutral floor this year by the Terps were the St. Louis and Miami destructions in November Great. and the close game against Tennessee where they also had a bad start that was you know similar to some of their starts on the road as well. So we can talk about that. I, I know we'll get into this Nebraska game, but for me, that's just like the the overwhelming impression, big picture-wise, from, from that Nebraska game. Um, wait, are you saying Jacqueline Hyde? Jacqueline Hyde, yeah. Like two different, uh, you know, two different sides. Like one's... One's this this side of the spectrum, the other's the other. You never uh, heard that one? Okay. I got you. I, I I wasn't sure even what you meant by that, but I got you. Um, <laughs> um Okay, well, so first thing that, that 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 caught me very off guard. Ben. My bad, my bad there. I'm, I'm no, trying no, to, it was trying, trying to trying to throw in some references here. Um all right. So so the thing about this game was some of the individual performances were really bad. Like, let's start with Dante Scott. That was the worst game I've ever seen him play in a Maryland uniform, hands down. And he had some really bad ones last year down the stretch. That was the worst game I've seen him play. He didn't play, and he's been struggling because he did not play well against Purdue at all. They won in spite of him, not because of him. He had only five points against Purdue. Um, He also had five against Nebraska, but he was two for 16 from the field. Two for 16 from the field. Should I say one more time? Two for 16 from the field? Yes. And one for eight from three. It was... It was it was really hard to watch. Um, he was lost defensively at times. He did have a nice block um, and he was locked in certain times, but he was lost defensively at times, ball watching, um, not in the right help positions a lot. And he really struggled because it wasn't, yes, he, half of those shots are threes and that should never be the case with Dante Scott. He should look to get downhill. But even when he was getting downhill and getting some of those post touches and getting into his hook shot that he makes a lot of the time, he was just missing bunnies. It was an uncharacteristic performance from him. Um, and and it is a little bit of concern how he struggled and how he hasn't really gotten going offensively, um, both both as a shooter, but also just um, in terms of his touch down low, he struggled. And this was the worst game he's played. And maybe it's a wake up call and maybe he'll, he'll go up from here, because if this team is going to live up to its potential, he has to act like a second or third option and start playing like it. And it's been a few games. Um, since since that's been the case, but if like Jameer Young, the team's going to go as Jameer Young goes. But if Jameer Young, um, isn't going one day, or he needs he needs a break, and he needs to have rely on someone else. Dante Scott needs to be that guy, and and he hasn't been in recent weeks. But on the flip side, Hakeem Hart has been. 
because he's been phenomenal. I, t- I talked about it earlier, how it was a little bit of a, he was, he was really hot during the season in the beginning of the season. Then he got cold for a while. And now he's back to being really hot again. I mean, he was, he had he was four for six from three against Nebraska. He finished with 14 points. So if he's hot from three again, and he's still a threat as a slasher, he's still a great defender. He can even run some point guard this, um, when Jameer Young needs a little bit of rest. We've seen that throughout this season. He's, he's, He's been that guy in the last few games. And then if he's got that gets that stroke back and he carries with him into March throughout the rest of the season, that's that's a great sign for Maryland. Um and then we saw, but he was in foul trouble. And let's just a side note, this whistle, this was the worst officiated game Maryland's played in all season. It this, was bad. Yeah. This was... Big Ten officiating was a joke against Nebraska. It was horrible for both sides, not one way or the other. Just how much they were blowing that whistle for ticky tack fouls every single play down was ridiculous, honestly. And Ian Martinez fouled out. He had five points. I mean, excuse me, five five fouls, three points. Uh, Julian Reese and Hakeem Hart didn't foul up. They each had four fouls. So they were dealing with some foul troubles. Julian Reese was tied with Jameer Young for, for leading Maryland scorers. He had 16 points. It's a good game from him. Six six for 10 from the free throw line isn't is better than his actually season average, but that, that number needs to be up because if he's going to get fouled that much and go to the free throw line that much, he needs to make more than 60% from the line there. Uh, yeah. If there are any other individual performance takeaways, uh, Ike Cornish played some minutes. Oh, okay. Let, let's talk about this. Do you want to talk? Let, do you want to give something on Dante Scott, and then we can talk about the the, the yeah. bench dynamic. Yeah, I'll talk. I'll talk about Dante and Akeem real quick because you brought them up, and I actually, you know, I, I wrote about both of them in my preview for tonight's game. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday morning. Uh, tonight's game against Minnesota. Um, so I did some data on on Dante and and Hakeem Hart dove into the stats. Dante obviously two of sixteen, one for eight from deep. He hasn't shot 50% from the field at all recently. I mean, he's only shot 50% in the field in just one of Maryland's last seven games. For a guy who has the volume where he's going to take 16 shots on the road and eight of them are going to be from three, which is one, ridiculous. It can Back to the shot selection, we don't need to go completely into that, but I wrote a piece on it. We, we've been talking about it forever. Um, Maryland took 22 threes against Nebraska and only took 11 against Purdue. I mean, something... You know, I, I don't know what else needs to be said there. Uh, but for, for Dante Scott, for a guy of his volume, he's taking a lot of shots per game. That's not going to change. Maryland's not going to lose confidence in him. He has to be more efficient. That's one. And then we'll move to, the, I guess, a little bit of a positive thing with Akeem Hart. Talk about his hot shooting. These past three games, he's 8 of 14 from three, 57.1%. Kind of been that go-to shooter where, you know, that's been lacking on the roster because obviously Don Carey has not been that guy and and, and no one else has been either. Before these last three games, and on December 2nd, Hakeem Hart went five or six from three against Illinois. From December 6th to February 7th, he went 16 games without making multiple threes in the game. And I think there were seven or so. I, I have the number somewhere else. There were a bunch of games where he didn't hit a single three, and obviously he attempted threes in each game. For him to be back shooting the ball well is a really welcome sign for this Maryland team because they're going to need him shoot the ball well in March because someone's got to shoot the ball well. And Don Carey has improved. It's going to be him. Jameer Young has made some clutch threes, but he's not going to be your go-to three-point sc- score. And like I just mentioned, Dante Scott, his volume um, and his inconsistency has been glaring as well. Um, so for Maryland, two things need to happen. Dante Scott's got to be more efficient. And if Akeem Hart's hot shooting continues, they'll be in good shape down the stretch. We just wanted to touch on those numbers real quick. We can get into the uh, the rotation yeah. discussion now. Thank you for bringing up those numbers. I mean, it was all evident to all of our eyes uh, yeah. of the of how hot Hakeem Hart started and how cold he got. Um, but this this is when you want to play your best basketball, and if he can continue it for the next three four weeks, um, into March, 
then, then that's going to be a great sign for Maryland. The question is if he can do that, because we've seen a lot of inconsistency from Hakeem Hart and Dante Scott really um, throughout throughout their careers. But all right, let's talk about the this rotation and this Don Carey, Ian Martinez uh, dynamic that we have going on. It's really, really tough for Maryland when when they almost know that Don Carey is going to give them little to zero production. That's just a fact. I mean, he's we don't need to go on on him. Like there's everyone knows it. He's just been really, really bad this year. Um, he's it's just been disappointment for him. I'm sure we don't need to we don't need to rip rip into him. Like I've seen Twitter, I've seen what people say about him. I'm sure yeah. he does as well. We don't need to rip into him. Like there's there's nothing more to say than than he's been bad this year, and I'm sure he's dealing with that. Well, and what, what, let me just interrupt you real quick. It is disappointing because he he got he honestly had a good game against Purdue. Like he had a couple dimes. But see, here's the thing: a good series, game from he him just couldn't he couldn't build on it. A good game from him is not an zero for five shooting performance anymore. Like he, what do you have? Five points against Purdue, I believe. Yeah, maybe even four. I don't I don't know. I just backed off the. Uh, I'll yeah, right now he, he had, had four points. Four points against Purdue. Like, look. <laughs> A two for four performance for four points against Purdue is what we consider a good game from your two guard net. You know, like like <laughs> that says that says something. But I will say, um, you know, he is a really really small leash right now. Willard is ready to pull him at any moment. He's going to be starting games. I don't think they're going to make us, us change in the starting lineup at this point in the season. But because they've had a lot of success despite how bad he's been, but his his leash. When he's starting games, it is so small. If he's not contributing, if he's not playing, um, if he's not even I like, I'm sure he's going to go all out on defense because that's really the only thing that could keep him on the floor at this point. But if he attempts a three or two and he's cold, he's gone. Like Willard yeah. is pulling him from the game, and E. Martinez has been the guy who's been stealing a lot of his minutes against Nebraska. Don Carey only played eight minutes in the game. Didn't play a minute in the second half or overtime. He played eight minutes. Ian Martinez played 34 minutes and he was in foul trouble and ended up fouling out. So Ian Martinez is going to be the guy that replaces him. The thing with Ian Martinez is he can give you a spark. Again, he was good against Purdue. He had seven points against Purdue. He had three against um he had a three against against Nebraska. He can give you a spark. He can give you quality minutes. But if he's playing 30 minutes, if he's playing 28 minutes, I don't know if he can be cons- a consistent two guard. And the problem they have from that position right now is they're getting little production um throughout the course of a game throughout the course of 40 minutes they're getting little production from that two guard position it was i will say it was nice to see a couple things first ike cornish got some minutes he played six minutes and immediately came in and scored a bucket almost i think it was the first second uh, yeah, it was nice move that he gave yeah it was a nice move so if he can be a little bit of a spark uh, that that could be good. I'm, I'm not. He's definitely not going to get extended minutes um, as these games get more important in March. Um, but but that was good to see because because we've all heard good things about him as a scorer, as a shooter. Jafari Long, who who we talked about, who has pretty much fallen out of the rotation for the most part, he was phenomenal against uh, Nebraska in that first in that after the second half. Jameer Young and Dante Scott both went to the bench way earlier than they used to because they were both struggling and Wither kind of saw enough, wanted to give them a little bit of a break, I presume. And those guys went to the bench. And that's when Maryland went on a run and came back in the game and and really took the game over um, for that beginning stretch of the second half. Obviously, it, di- it didn't last. But that was not when Jameer Young and Dante Scott were on the bench. And that was on the heels of, of, of Jahari Long. He had six points all in the second half, all in the first, uh, I believe, like eight minutes of the second half. And he and and he had a uh, no he didn't he didn't hit the three he, 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 got, nice he got bailed out on, on the three the foul call 
Yeah, yeah. And he had uh, handed him three points, but he still played. Not, he's not a great free throw shooter, so he was still four or five from the free throw line, which which is good for him. But he was the spark. Like, he was the scoring spark that you really hadn't seen from him all season because he kind of has fallen out of the rotation. So maybe he's getting some of those minutes at the, at the two guard or even when he plays the one guard and Jameer Young plays off the ball if they're going to be on the floor together. Um, but maybe he's replacing some of those Don Carey and Martinez minutes. But overall, like, they have a serious problem at this two spot where they just don't know night in and night out the production that they're going to get um, from their two guys. And and this Don Carey thing is, is difficult because you can't bench him. You can't fully yeah. bench him because E. Martinez can't play 40 minutes. He just can't. And you don't you have no other option. You're not going to go to Ike Korsh extended minutes because you just have you haven't played him all season. So you're not going to go to Ike Korsh for extended minutes. And you don't know what you're going to get from Don Carey night, night in, night out. There might be a game where he starts two for two for three, and that's a game he might play 30-plus minutes. But that's been incredibly rare. It hasn't really happened. It did happen the first time they played in Nebraska. He was four for four from three. But for the most part, he's just been a really poor shooter. And it's it's a tough dynamic and a tough thing Willard has to deal with where night in, he's not sure the production he's going to get from Don Carey. He doesn't He's not sure the splits in terms of minutes that he's going to get from Ian Martinez and Don Carey. Because when Don Carey's playing decent like he did against Purdue uh those minutes were pretty much split I think he played 24 minutes Ian Martinez played 21 minutes when the when he was bad and, and offering no production against Nebraska Ian Martinez played 34 and Don Carey played eight so those splits in those minutes are going to be really different night in night out based on what Don Carey shows you really from the first like five or six minutes yeah it, I mean it's almost you feel like he has to make his first shot for the night to go well for him um Obviously, just a couple things here uh, I wanted to bring up that I found interesting. Obviously, plus minus is, is a very flawed stat. But the only players who were not negative against Nebraska was Julian Roots with zero, Jahari Long plus four, Patrick Million plus two, and Ian Martinez plus seven. Um, so definitely some some food for thought there. And then I also had to tweet this out when I saw it on the floor. Um, I, I believe it was in the second half. Maryland had a lineup of Jahari Long at the one, Ian Martinez at the two, Hakeem Hart at the three, a million at the four, and Julian Reese at the five. That ha- I mean, that had to be the first time we've seen this lineup this year. I-, I can't imagine there's been times where we've seen So he was, look, Willard was really tinkering with the rotation against Nebraska. But I just, just to interject, that was an effective lineup. Yeah, it was. You saw on the floor first, you're like, what is this lineup? What is this going to do? But that's when Jameer Young and Dante Scott went to the bench pretty early on in that second half. And that was an effective lineup that kind of got them back in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so definitely interesting there. Um, it, it, it's I asked I had to ask Willard yesterday about the rotation when we had media availability, and obviously, look, he wasn't going to talk about it. He said, "Nope, same as always." Um, we'll see about that. It's obviously even if it is the same as always. Even now, it's not the same as always due to you know the two yard debacle that what's what's been happening right now because. You know, Ian Martinez has been outplaying Don Carey or they're playing even minutes for the last somewhat game. So it's it's not the same as always. It's changing. And I don't know. I can't imagine what Don Carey's confidence level is right now if they're playing eight minutes in the first half and not playing the rest of the game. He played eight of 45 minutes. This is a guy who came in to be your starting two guard. Like it's it's almost appalling to, to think about when you talk about it right now. Um, but who knows, Sam, if if I had to ask you right now, if you're going to see any changes to the rotation with this normal seven and, you know, you have Jahari Long as this eighth guy who's, you know, really fallen out, but maybe he's back in after this Nebraska game. Who knows? Um, and, and he plays decent minutes every time he's in. Um, what would what would you say? You think the minute shifts? You think it's t- Ian Martinez is going to start starting? I mean, what's what's going to happen here? Is, is it going to be the same as, as we've seen? 
like, no, like, yes, yes, it is going to be the same as what you've seen. You really can't change the rotation. There's four games left in the regular season. Like, you just can't do it. Like, bringing Don Carey off the bench and seeing if that helps him. Because shooting-wise, they've tried that earlier this season. It didn't do anything. Like, Ian Martinez has kind of found the rhythm off the bench. I mean, he's given you some good minutes and good games off the bench. I think you've already seen the shift in minutes. Like, E. Martinez is playing, at a minimum, as much as Don Carey. Yeah. Don Carey's struggling. He's going to play way more than Don Carey. You've seen that pretty consistently over these last few weeks. So there's, there's nothing you can do. Like, you're not giving Ike Cornish 20 minutes a game all of a sudden when he hasn't played all season. Like, Jahari Long... Yeah, he he played. He had a, he had six points in, the, in nine minutes, but like he's not playing twenty minutes, and I don't really think he's going to be playing a lot. I think that when when you come to March and you come the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament time, you know rotations are are, are cut short. Like the, the, most teams have seven man rotations unless you're really deep bench, and, and then sometimes you'll have an eight eight man rotation. But I don't see I don't really see a change like happening because there isn't one they can do. They just don't have the personnel for it. And so mm-hmm. Don Carey's going to continue to start, and if he if he's struggling, he's going to be on the bench for most of the second half or all of the second half. And if E. Martinez is also struggling, then you have a serious problem, <laughs> and, and you, it's going to be hard to win some games. But what was interesting is E. Martinez fouled out in that game, and instead of Don Carey replacing him, Jahari Long replaced him. <laughs> so like like Don Carey is he's in the doghouse because he's been bad, but I don't think he's going to not start anymore. I just. I just think that E. Martinez is going to play way more of those minutes. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm with you. Um, I don't want to say it's like an unprecedented, unprecedented predicament, but it's certainly something that's you know really strange when it's late February, the Big Ten tournament, the postseason's right around the corner, and you only play your starting guard eight minutes. And I, I don't know. I, I, I just find it interesting. Um, I, I also think something like he, he didn't say yesterday, but I think also something has to be said. Just um, rotation wise, I think it just had to do with, you know, the, the type of team Nebraska is, um, you know, running Tominaga off the line, um, Derek Walker's going to get his inside, definitely a little bit of a, a different team in that sense, where it's really just one, one guy outside of Walker, who's running around the floor. You got to keep tabs of him at all times. He was only two for six from three, but obviously he had a good game as well, but it's definitely an interesting discussion. One, it feels like we've been having more recently, um, than times in the past just because there's so much uncertainty where it, it's almost like I, I it, it's, yeah, well, it's a loss of words type thing. the other thing is when you're getting such little production from your from your two guard spot everyone else needs to elevate their game and like Jameer Young's been phenomenal all season yeah. can't can't say enough about him but Hakeem Hart needs to remain consistent as a shooter from three because he's been Maryland's best three-point shooter over the last few weeks um so he needs to remain consistent and remain aggressive on the offensive end and then Dante, uh, Dante Scott needs to step his game up too. like like if you're you need that re- production to be replaced because you're getting zero production pretty much E Martinez sometimes will give you some you don't really he's inconsistent like we said earlier but you're not getting a lot of production from that two spot it needs to be replaced and elevated in other areas and, and that falls on Dante Scott and Hakeem Harden and and those those guys who who are capable of shooting and scoring from the outside, but we've seen some inconsistent stretches throughout the season, especially from from Dante. Uh, the yeah, last I mean, thing, Dante's Dante seems like the number four option at times, which he can't be. Yeah, if not the number four number, option. Cons- the number the number four threat. Excuse me, because the yeah. the volume wise, he's far from the number four option. Definitely, but if if he is consistently playing like like a number two option that he is, because Jameer Young's obviously number one. 
I mean, this team could really go make a run in both tournaments. Like seriously, like, but that's such a big if. So, so it's hard to, it's hard to predict at this point. The last thing from this game is I'll just say it, it was a classic letdown spot. I mean, Maryland came in the game as five point favorites, partly because they, how much they struggle on the road, partly because, um, I think it was just such a classic letdown spot. They had their biggest win this season, an absolute party, um, over in their win over Purdue on Thursday. Then they immediately get on the road where they really struggled and go against a really red hot Nebraska team. I mean, this by the way, the worst place to go on the road. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's great Lincoln, Nebraska. It's, 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 it's scream letdown. And it's always a great environment there. You know, if their team's great or if their team sucks, that's always a great environment in in Lincoln, Nebraska, because everyone there is nothing else to do. So, so they'll always get fan support, but so yeah, it's a tough place to play against a team that's playing really well. Like they're playing really good basketball. Um, but it just it, it this team wasn't ready and like that falls on as much as we've praised Willard and his staff that falls on them too because this team was not ready not prepared to go up against a Nebraska team such such few hours after um their biggest win of the season I will say I tweeted this too um big criticism I had from that game down the stretch and in, in the end of regulation Maryland was up to about thirty seconds left Nebraska had the ball. And Julian Reese was on the bench. Like Derek Walker was dominating Patrick Chameleon. As much as we played Pat, praised Patrick Chameleon on both sides of the floor, Derek Walker was dominating him. But those those dribble drives where he just did a quick like in and out dribble, it almost seemed like sometimes a crossover and just got to his spots. Um, he was just doing that at will against Patrick Chameleon all the time. And on that possession, Maryland's up too. They need a stop. If they get a stop, they win the game. Doesn't even go to overtime. Pat, uh, Julian Reese was on the bench. He only had three fouls at the time, and he was on the bench. And Patrick Millian was the primary defender. Yeah, there was no help, and there probably should have been. But Derek Walker just dominated Patrick Millian. It was a one-on-one situation. The better player scored the point. And I don't really know why Pat, Julian Reese was on the bench because he did a better job in defensive coverage against Derek Walker than Patrick Millian did. So, so that was just a criticism I had. Yeah. Um, also, that that inbounds pass that was stolen that that kind of sealed the game. That was just inexcusable. Like it wasn't a lazy pass, I don't think. Um, but it was more just it was just bad. Like it was just not a pass you make. Yeah, like you got yeah, you gotta be smart in that situation. Um, so just a couple criticisms. Yeah. On that um, note. And, and yeah, I mean that that's really it from this game for me. Yeah, I just wanted to build off that that first criticism you had. Um agreed with you. I think it was more just that the help defense didn't come. That was definitely choice there. I'm I'm not sure why why there's no help and I just think my other criticism from that game is where was the press down the stretch? I think I think you know, you can't see our facial reactions right now, but um the press has been so big of, of such a big part of Maryland's winning identity. And it just it maybe these guys were just gassed. I, I'm, yeah, I'm sure, I mean, sure that, was, that was it, but it 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 just wasn't it wasn't there. Um, yeah, I mean that that was my thought process too. Like it's it's biggest, like I said, biggest win Thursday, um, big party Thursday. Immediately going on the road, like it's hard. Yeah, and they probably and they probably were gassed, and that was probably a big part of it because uh, Willard does need to preserve these guys. I mean, <laughs> his stars are playing Hakeem Hart, uh, Dante Scott, Jameer Young. These guys are playing close to 40 minutes pretty much the entire game. Hakeem Hart played 40 minutes, um, even though it went to overtime. But still, like these guys are playing almost the entire game, most games. And that's going to be really hard when you have game after game after game in the Big Ten tournament or in the NCAA tournament. There's only one day in between. So maybe that was part of it, just preserving their legs, preserving their bodies. But I don't know exactly. Um, yeah, I'm not sure either, but definitely definitely a couple of valid points, I, I think. Yeah. 
the other thing is, and you brought it up earlier, not specific from this game, but it's just like their neutral site locations. They were dominant in the Mo against Sun tournament um, against St. Louis and in Miami. Those were great neutral site performances. And then Tennessee was, they were, they were their bad start at the beginning, horrible shooting night, but they came back and only lost by a couple points, or I believe three points uh, to Tennessee. And it was in New York, so Maryland had a great fan base there. There was a there was a it was a loud environment for Maryland in favor of Maryland, uh, but that was still a neutral site location. So it's just it's it's when they've been so good at home and so bad on the road, looks like two completely different teams. Is there just like a happy medium in there, and that's what they're going to look like in the Big Ten tournament and the in the NCAA tournament? Like we'll talk about it more as th- those things get closer. But you brought it up earlier. It's just like I don't know how I'm going to predict those games because yeah. they're, they're just two completely different teams on the road at the home. Yes, I think part of it is the the travel. Or excuse me, playing in a hostile environment, and when it's a neutral site location, it's usually not a hostile environment either way. Um, so that's part of it. But I also think maybe it's the travel, which which you do have to do in a neutral site games. I, I don't know exactly what it is that that's ailing this Maryland team and their poor, they're just horrible shooting starts offensive starts as a whole really and defensive intensity starts um when they're on the road but it's 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 tough to predict because they've been so good on the home at home and so bad on the road and it's 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 a theme throughout college basketball and the big 10 but maryland in particular's road splits are worse than just about every other team in the big 10 that's that's going to be a tournament team at least they are so bad on the road and so good at home it's it's like how could you even like it literally looks like two different basketball teams. I swear I'm not watching the same team when I watch these guys at home and on the road. It's 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 hard to fathom, honestly. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, look, Willard said yesterday that he thinks it's 88 percent of the teams in Big Ten win at home. That's not true. I'm looking at it right now. Um, 67.6 percent according to Ken Palm, uh, which is 75 of 111 games. If I'm looking at the right stat, I think that sounds right. Um, Look, that's still a, a whopping, like, that's a crazy number. Eye-popping, 76.6% of games are won at home. That's more than two-thirds. That's the third highest value in the in the country per conference. There's, what, 32 conferences, and the Big Ten's third in terms of home winning percentage. So, yes, that plays into it. Every environment's a crazy environment, and Maryland being at home is obviously one of the best as well. But it's interesting. Look, we you've talked about it. I mentioned it earlier. I don't know how this team's going to perform on a neutral floor. It's been so long. I, you'd hope. I don't know if there's uh, you know, a middle ground. To your point, um, I think it's probably either just going to be one way or the another, one way or the other. I don't think it'll be to the extent one way or the other. So I guess yeah, maybe there is a middle ground, like I'm saying. But I think it's you'll see more of the positive qualities of this team when the the postseason comes around because it's like everyone's on an even playing field. So. I don't know. That's just my my two cents there. Yeah, so look, there's four games left. There's four games left to go, um, starting with Minnesota tonight. There's not really a lot to talk about with that one. Like I said earlier, this is just a really bad basketball team, barely even a Power 5 team this year, 1-14 um, in the Big Ten. First time Maryland played, it was at Minnesota. That was their only road win, and they won 81-46. to uh, Maryland's 15.5-point favorites tonight. I don't. Even, we don't even need to do a score prediction because like, <laughs> they should just absolutely dominate them. It would be an incredibly shocking loss, but I don't think anyone in their right mind thinks that Maryland's going to lose this game. But after Minnesota night, they have a huge one at Northwestern, or excuse me, excuse me, at home against Northwestern on Sunday. And then they finish their uh, their regular season with two road games at Ohio State and then at Penn State. 
Um, Ohio State, their season's pretty much over, so that could be a good opportunity to to pick up a road game from a team that doesn't have anything to play for and may kind of just be out of it. But then that, that Penn State game is going to be really difficult on the road in that last game of the season before the Big Ten tournament. So how do you think the next four games play out? Just just quick record prediction. Before you do, Maryland has a shot to get a top four seed, which means they would get a double bye and immediately advance to the quarterfinals of the Big Ten tournament. They're nine and seven right now, but there's there's six teams that are nine and seven right now. Purdue's first place, 13 and four. Northwestern's 11 and five. Indiana's at number three right now at 10 and seven. So they're kind of in that mix too. And then there's six teams who are nine and seven, including Maryland. Maryland does have a very favorable schedule though. I will say um, if they go three and one, I think they're, they'd be almost guaranteed to get one of those top four, four seeds. How do you think the the rest of the season plays out? Um, so I'll start with tonight. I'm going to go on the record. Um, Minnesota is going to cover the 15 and a half. Maryland's going to win by 14 um, at the Xfinity center. Uh, we don't have to dive too deep into that one. Um, so go win against Minnesota, um, Northwestern, which is now ranked. Northwestern is having a great year. They're not going to win at College Park. I think Maryland is going to beat Northwestern. So I think that's going to be two in a row. I think Maryland finishes off the perfect Big Ten season at home, which would be, by the way, one heck of an accomplishment. Even if they lose to Northwestern, how they've played at home is unbelievable. Um, so I think Maryland's going to win those two games. And I think Maryland is going to split the road game. So I think Maryland's going to get over the hump, get one of those wins. I think the Maryland will beat Ohio state and lose to Penn state. I just, I, I don't remember the last time Maryland went into Bryce Jordan center and won that place is like watching on TV. I, I have never been there personally, but it just, it seems like, especially when Penn state's not good. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how the crowds have been this year, but it's it's almost like a nightmare to go in there and play. It just you can feel like the echoes through the TV. Yeah, um, it's like the worst. It's like it's probably the worst environment in the yeah, Big Ten. Terrible. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go three and one finish to finish, um, twelve and eight in the Big Ten. And what would that be? Uh, twenty one and ten regular season. That'd be really impressive. So, yeah, I, I um. I certainly think they're going to beat Minnesota tonight. I do think I could see it being a little closer, maybe like a 13, 14 point win. Um, but I could also see them winning by 20 plus. Um, this Minnesota team is atrocious. I can't really state that enough. Um, Northwestern is a really difficult game. Like this, this, because they're, they're playing for that undefeated regular, um, that undefeated home record um, in the Big Ten. Which is which is a huge accomplishment, like you said. And so this is a really good Northwestern team. I think Maryland matches up well, um, but like I'm not, I can't pick against Maryland at home. I can't. So I think Maryland's going to win the game. But I would not be surprised at all if Northwestern kind of breaks that streak and, and comes into College Park and and gets the first uh, Big Ten road win in College Park this season. This Northwestern team is good, yeah. so that wouldn't surprise me at all. But I I, I can't pick against maryland right now and every time i do pick against maryland it doesn't really work out for me especially at home so i'm gonna go maryland that game i agree with you um i think they beat ohio state because ohio state has nothing to play for i think that's a good opportunity um to get a road win and probably will not be a great atmosphere at all just based on the fact that um they have nothing to play for and fans aren't showing up and and yeah and then i agree with you about penn state you know that's that was kind of like turgeon's one of Turgeon's kryptonites is he had a really tough time going into Penn State and beating them on the road. I I think Penn State will still be playing for something at that point. They're, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament, but they're seeding in the Big Ten tournament. If they do make a, a run, maybe they're a fringe bubble team. I I think Penn State is going to beat Maryland. So I, I have them finishing three and one, which would mean they get a double bye. 
not not guaranteed, but I think it'd be really unlikely that they finish three and one and somehow finish outside the top four in the standings. So I think I kind of I expect Maryland to be in the quarterfinals of the Big Ten tournament and having their first game on Friday. Yeah, I mean, some we have to take it to account. I mean, maybe we'll have the math more uh, more sold next next uh, next week, but I think there's going to be some tiebreakers that we'll have to get into at one point or another. More, more than more than just I'm talking like three or fourteen tiebreakers if it comes down to it for the double buy because yeah. I have no idea what the math would be there. Um, just 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 based off, I mean, tiebreakers. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, just head-to-head record. That's the first thing, right? Yeah, just, just if, it, if it's just a two-team tiebreaker. Yeah, so, um, oh, 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 just two-team? Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying if, if we get some crazy three- or four-team tiebreaker, I, I'm going to have to – I, I refresh my mind with the procedures every year, um, but I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm not the uh, the sharpest on that right now. Yeah, um, well, I think, I think that's inevitable because there's four teams in fourth – excuse me, six teams in fourth place – that are nine and seven. So I think those tiebreakers are inevitable, but we're still a couple, we're still a couple weeks away from that. Um, Maryland still has four games to go, but the season's winding down. And when we talk to you next, um, Maryland's going to have two games to go. The Northwestern game will be in the books. We'll talk about that. And the Minnesota game will be in the books. Maryland will be traveling on the road for the last two games of the season against Ohio state and Penn state. And then we'll give you full big 10 tournament preview. Um, we'll, we'll give you all the content you need right here on testudotimes.com on this podcast with, with us, with Ben, with Ben, with me, with Sam. Um, I am Sam with, with both of us. Um, is there anything else or are we good? Uh, I think we're good. Um, I will have, I'll have that tiebreaker uh, procedure done next week for my homework and we'll see how, uh, how Maryland's looking there. Yeah. And we should have a better idea because there's only be two games left to go, but that Northwestern game is going to be huge. Yeah. Big North, time. Northwestern could even slip in the standings a little bit. Purdue's really the only team that's I think locked in. Yeah, I mean North Northwestern. Northwestern is a really tough schedule to finish yeah. at Illinois tomorrow, at at Maryland Sunday, uh, home against Penn State Wednesday, March first, and then to finish the season at the rack against Rutgers. That, it's yeah, a really, really tough. That, it's a really tough stretch. That could be a one and three stretch, which is yeah. why they might be desperate too coming to Maryland. That, yeah. That's going to be a great game on Sunday. Um, but we'll talk about that next week. Um, we appreciate everyone listening. We'll, we'll talk to you next week.